0: I'll pray and then we'll we'll think about this text. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, please help me now to explain your word faithfully and apply it helpfully. May your spirit work within us as we hear your word and may we get a bigger view of you and your glorious salvation that is bound up in your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's his name we pray. Amen. Uh, Well, I want to begin by giving you three kind of disappointing scenarios. Sorry to start on a disappointing note, but but here they are. Scenario one, you fail your subjects this semester and have to repeat your final year of uni. Scenario number two, you order a new jacket online only to find that it's too small. Number three, you lose your job in Melbourne and are required to relocate to rural Victoria for a lower paid job. Now, on the surface, all three of those scenarios kind of seem like disappointing setbacks. You know, it's frustrating to fail or to have your order messed up or to need to relocate. But what if I told you uh, a little more about each one of those scenarios? What if I told you that in repeating your final year of uni, you met the love of your life in the class you had to redo Or what if I told you that the too small jacket made a great emergency present for your sibling's birthday that you almost forgot? Or what if I told you that in moving to the country, you became friends with a Christian local, and you heard the gospel from him, and it was there you were saved? You see, what at first seems like a setback, now suddenly reads like a setup for something great. And that's what we see, I think, happening in our passage tonight. What at first appears like a horrible setback for the gospel in Philippi ends up being God's setup for a wonderful act of salvation in the life of a Philippian jailer. See, this passage teaches us to have a bigger and more optimistic view of God's capacity to bring good from bad for the sake of the gospel. So what we'll do uh, tonight is to look at the apparent setback uh, that happens in Paul and Silas's ministry in Philippi, and then we'll look at how God uses it as a great setup for salvation. So first, an apparent setback. Now, Paul and Silas's ministry in Philippi, which we heard about last week, appears in the first half of this chapter to come to a a grinding halt through the unjust actions of a corrupt slave owner, an angry mob, and cowardly city officials. Now, how does this apparent setback come about? Well, verses 16 to 18 tell us that it all begins when Paul and Silas encounter a slave girl who's possessed by an evil spirit and who could predict the future, verse 16. Now, Luke doesn't give us all the sort of info about the questions we have on this girl, but he does tell us that she was a real money maker for her owners. And you can, can't help but feel sorry for this girl. I mean, she's possessed by a spirit, and she's being used for financial gain by her owners. And verse 17 tells us what happens when this possessed girl comes across the path of the missionaries. In verse 17, we read that she followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. Now, we're told that this shouting goes on for many days, verse 18, and that that Paul becomes very annoyed by it. Now, although what she's shouting is true, technically, the the reason Paul gets annoyed is, I think, probably twofold. One is that he doesn't like the message of Jesus being associated in any way with the pagan spirit world, an evil spirit. And two, it was probably just really difficult to have a conversation with others about Jesus when there's this girl shouting right beside you all the time. Trust me, I have three girls at home. It's difficult to have a conversation in those circumstances, And so Paul says, basically, right, this has gone on long enough. Verse 18, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. Now, even before we get to the transformation of the Philippian jailer, we get a picture here of how the name of Jesus transforms a person's life. In this case, a spiritually oppressed slave girl was freed from her spiritual oppression by the authority and power of Jesus. But what was good news for this girl quickly appears, on the surface at least, to become bad news for Paul and Silas, a setback, it would seem, which we will see in the injustice that comes very shortly. Now, I wonder if uh, you have ever experienced or been the victim of injustice. You know, perhaps you were given a serve by the boss Uh, for something you didn't do. Perhaps you received a traffic fine in the mail that you were convinced is inaccurate. Now, it's bad enough to feel the injustice of a traffic fine, but but think about the levels of injustice that some of our Christian brothers and sisters uh, experience in other parts of the world. Uh, Last month, I read of a grave injustice in uh, an article on the Barnabas Fund website. Uh, as I've mentioned in the past, the Barnabas Fund's an organization that advocates for the persecuted church. Now, in this article, it told of a Christian father and son in India who were arrested for supposedly breaking COVID-19 restrictions by keeping their mobile phone shop open. This accusation was disputed. But here's an excerpt from the article. The pair were savagely beaten by police and Hindu extremists and were covered in blood when they were brought to the magistrate on the 20th of June. Ignoring their injuries, he, the magistrate, remanded them back into police custody. Emmanuel, the son, died on the 21st of June. His father, Jayaraj, died the next morning. It's believed these men were targeted because of their Christian faith and low position in the Indian caste system. After the story became public, five police officers were arrested. Thank God. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear about that kind of injustice, uh, I just find it devastating. But you see, that's the kind of hatred, violence and injustice that we see in our passage against two men, Paul and Silas. See, look at how the owners of the slave girl respond to Paul and Silas in verses 19 to 19 to 21. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews. Notice how they sort of tap into the prejudice against Jews? And they're throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. Now, now wouldn't it be nice, right, if the next thing we read in the Bible passage were these words? or when the matter was brought before the magistrates, they investigated the facts. They found that Paul and Silas had committed no wrongdoing and ordered an AVO to be put out against the slave girl's owners because he was clearly dangerous. But that's not what we read, is it? Instead, we read of the magistrate's cowardice and complicity with an angry mob. I mean, look at it there in verse 22. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods, no trial, no conviction. And after they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison. And the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Stripped, flogged, jailed. I mean, this is evil stuff we're reading here. First, there's the lies of the owners who clearly covered up the real reason they hated Paul and Silas. Second was the implicit racism they used to whip up the crowd against these Jewish believers. Third was the rank injustice committed by those who were entrusted to uphold law and order. Lies, racism, unjust punishment. I mean, this looks like the sort of setback to end all setbacks in the mission field of Philippi. Now, I suspect there are some of you who have felt the pain of unjust treatment, perhaps because you're a Christian. Maybe you've experienced workplace bullying or discrimination because of your faith. Or maybe you simply just get dismayed when you read of stories like the one I told you of unjust treatment against your overseas brothers and sisters Well, before I move on, I just want to note two helpful ways that the example of Paul and Silas give us to respond to unjust persecution treatment. First, Paul and Silas respond to their unjust treatment by praying to God, not plotting revenge in prison. You see it there in verse 25, what are they doing? About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying And not just praying, singing hymns to God. They took all the injustice of that day and brought it before God in prayer. In fact, joyfully singing to him because they know he cares, he listens and he acts. No wonder the other prisoners were listening to them. This is not a usual occurrence in a jail Now, when we've been mistreated, sinned against, persecuted, often the first thing we want is revenge. We want our attackers to feel what we have felt. But the message of Jesus changes things. It it teaches us to to act really in a Romans 12 fashion. In verse 12 of Romans 12, it says, Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Do not take revenge my dear friends but leave room for God's wrath for it is written i will repay says it is i will repay says the lord do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good now doesn't that describe paul and silas in this moment and you see they could be like that because they had been transformed by the gospel that they were preaching themselves they didn't need to seek revenge because they were convinced that God will ultimately deal with sin, either at the cross in the repentance of their attackers or on the last day of judgment where we all front up before God. And they could continue to love and, I suspect, pray for that angry mob because they were convinced that they too were lost sinners who had been saved by a gracious God. They could continue to sing praise to God because they were convinced that no matter what others did to them, God still loved them. God still cared about them. And one day, God would bring them through this world of trial into his safe presence forever. Pray, don't plot. But the second thing I think we learn is to speak up, not to shut up. You see, turning the other cheek doesn't mean that Christians ignore rank uh, acts of injustice done against us. Where possible, we speak out against it. In Isaiah 1, verse 17, it says, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression. And that's what we see Paul doing here with these unjust magistrates, correcting oppression, seeking justice. You see, if we jump to the end of our passage... We'll come back to the glorious moment of the Philippian jailer soon. But if we jump to the end of our passage in verses 35 to 36, what we see is interesting. The next day, the magistrates give orders to have Paul and Silas released. And you can guess what they're thinking. Like, all right, they've learnt their lesson. Now we will just want them to leave quietly. But look at Paul's response in verse 37. But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we're Roman citizens and threw us into prison. Well, and now they want to get rid of us quietly? No. Let them come themselves and escort us out. You see, Paul and Silas were Jews who had become Christians, but they were also Roman citizens. And according to Roman law, they had certain rights that could not be violated. No Roman citizen could be beaten or bound in any circumstances, let alone untried and uncondemned. And so Paul calls out this injustice. One commentator actually suggests that Paul may be responsible for the first recorded sit-in. You see, he doesn't move an inch until they come and fess up to what they've done. And actually, by God's grace, it works. You see it there in verses 38 and following. There we read that the magistrates, alarmed at what they'd actually gone along with the previous day, own their own sin. It's actually encouraging to read that. They own it. They humble themselves and apologize and escort the men out from prison. But notice in verse 40 that Paul doesn't leave straight away as they would have liked. No, he takes his own sweet time, first encouraging the believers in Philippi, then leaving. See, this reminds us, I think, that that where we have a voice, it's right to speak out against injustice. In fact, it's loving to help a person or people to see their sin and turn from it, like we see here. As a Roman citizen, Paul had a voice to speak out against the injustices taking place in this Roman colony. And Paul also wanted to protect the reputation of the church beyond his departure. Now, maybe this means for us going to a higher authority in our workplace when we've suffered some kind of bullying or discrimination. Or maybe as Westerners who live in the free world... We use our freedom and our finance to help those who are unjustly treated and persecuted in oppressive countries. Again, one of the roles of Barnabas Fund is to speak on behalf of such believers who have no voice in their own country and contest injustice when it occurs. Maybe it's worth investigating an organization like that, maybe even supporting it. A Bonhoeffer who spoke out against a government who was committing grave injustices said this to the Christians of his day. You have only one master now, but with this yes to God belongs just as clear a no. Your yes to God requires a no to all injustice, to all evil, to all lies. See, in the face of injustice, where we can, it's right to speak out. Now, although uh, they responded rightly, the fact remains that Paul and Silas did go through a horrible experience. And I suspect that if you received a prayer email from them at this point in their ministry, uh, you'd be tempted to see this whole incident as a complete setback for the gospel in Philippi. But you see, what's wonderful about our passage tonight is that the way God uses this supposed setback as a setup for the rich and wonderful act of salvation. See, out of the the ugliness of injustice that we read of, God brings about the beauty of a transformed life. It actually brings to mind Joseph's words to his brothers in Egypt. Remember what he said, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the salvation of many lives. See, the slave owner and magistrates had intended to harm Paul and Silas, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now about to be done, the saving of a Philippian jailer. So let's now think about the second point: God's great setup. Now maybe you're listening tonight and you're not yet a Christian. I'd encourage you to look at the way Jesus saves and changes this man in what we're about to read, because the new life that this guy finds through faith in Jesus can be yours too, if you likewise trust in and follow him. And if you're already a Christian, well, I pray that you might be reminded from this jailer's testimony how good it is to know God has brought salvation into your life and how capable he is to use even the biggest setbacks as setups for salvation among people you know. Now, there are three ways that I I think this jailer is transformed by the salvation that he finds in Jesus. Uh, His hope is, is transformed. His love is transformed, and his joy is transformed. Uh, let's take them one at a time. So first, a transformed hope. Now, hope I think is one of uh, the big things that many are searching for in this moment of pandemic. You know, people are longing for a ray of hope to shine through the isolation, the economic uncertainty. I read a report a couple of days ago that said Victoria's mental health groups had been swamped with a 20% jump in pleas for help since Melbourne went into stage three and then four restrictions. There's a lot of people struggling out there. They are longing for the hope of better days ahead. Well, through an act of God that shook the foundations of the prison, this jailer, jailer finds himself in a moment of crisis, a moment of complete hopelessness, basically. So read with me from verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying uh, and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. uh, At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up. And when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought that the prisoners had escaped. See, when this jailer sees the open prison doors, hopelessness floods his life. All he can feel in this moment is shame and is the shame and impending punishment coming to him for losing prisoners on his watch. In his mind, his life is basically over at this point. He's thinking, what's the point of going on? You know, maybe you've been in a similar place to that. Why bother living anymore? It is just so hard. I don't see any light. But look at how God brings that ray of hope to this guy in this moment. In verse 28, it comes in Paul's words. Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself. We're all here. See, imagine what he's thinking now. All isn't lost. These men have stayed put. I owe them my life. I mean, who does this? Particularly for the one who has jailed them. Now, perhaps the jailer at this point was thinking back to the reports he had heard of the slave girl who had called these men servants of the Most High God, telling you the way to be saved. What's clear, I think, in this moment is that salvation is on his mind. He knows this is no ordinary moment. He's got to be thinking, that most high God obviously wants my attention. And if it's salvation he's offering, I'm all in, tell me what to do. So you look at his reaction in verse 29. The jailer called for lights and rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? See, I wonder if you've ever asked that question before. You know, I like the idea of being saved by God, having that eternal life I've heard you speak of. What have I got to do to get it? What do I have to do to have my sins forgiven, be made right with God? Do I have to give to charity? Do I just become a better person? Look at the answer Paul gives. They replied, verse 31, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your whole household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in the house. You see, to believe in Jesus is to accept what the apostles of the Bible says about him that he's the son of God and saviour of our world, that he came to die for your sin and rebellion against God at the cross and that he rose again as Lord of all and gives life to all who trust and follow him. See, that was the word the jailer heard in this moment. That's the word he believed and that's the word he was saved by. That's the word that you can be saved by. See, just moments earlier, this man had been on the brink of death. His sword was drawn. Now he came to know the hope of life through believing in Jesus. And it's interesting, isn't it? Though Paul and Silas are the ones whose shackles fell off, the jailer is the one who actually goes home truly free that night. Through believing in Jesus, he was freed from the dominion of darkness that his pagan world had kept him in. He was freed from the penalty of sin. He was freed from the fear of condemnation and death. Now he had the hope of new and eternal life with the living God forever. Isn't that wonderful? He and his whole household. Uh, My sister sent me through this picture on our family WhatsApp. You might be able to see it there. Um, it's a sign that was hung on the door of her local coffee shop this week to try and encourage customers. Uh, it reads, not everything is cancelled. Sun's not cancelled. Spring is not cancelled. Reading, kindness, coffee, etc., is not cancelled. At the bottom, in big capital letters, hope is not cancelled. Now, when I saw this, I kind of thought, I wonder if they really know how true that is. You see, I think our world understands hope in a kind of fuzzy way. I think that to the world, hope means that there's always the possibility that things might improve. But you see, the hope that Jesus offers isn't a possibility, but a certainty. Christian hope says, because my Savior died for me and rose again, I have the certain hope, the certain fact that he is with me in this moment, that he will help me persevere and that one day he will raise me up in glory to be with God forever. See, Paul speaks of that hope actually in his future letter to the Philippian church. In Philippians 3 verse 20, Paul writes this to them, but our citizenship's in heaven. And we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they'll be like his glorious body. See, that's the hope the jailer came to know in this moment. And that's the kind of hope that followers of Jesus can say is not cancelled. Isn't that wonderful? But second, we see a transformed love with this guy. Uh, When someone comes to believe in Jesus, the weight of God's love for them transforms their love for others. They think, God sent his son to die for me. Even though I ignored him, I rebelled against him, that's amazing love. As As John says in his first epistle, we love because he first loved us. And this is what happens to the jailer. He's transformed by the message of Jesus. I mean, this was a man used to dealing out punishment to crooks, but here he is in verse 33 now washing the wounds of two of his prisoners and inviting them into his house. It's actually a beautiful picture of Christ-like love. Verse 33, at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And it's a wonderful kind of picture of mutual washing in some respect. You see the jailer washing their wounds. You see Paul and Silas washing the jailer in the waters of baptism. The sign given to those who have been washed clean of their sins through faith in Jesus. See, the gospel of Jesus transforms our love. Christians don't seek to love others to earn brownie points with God. We love out of thanks to God. The Christian says, because my saviour loved me enough to die for me, I want to thank him by loving others in his name. And you see, that's why I think we saw so much food donated to the Latrobe International students in need recently, because Bundy, I think, is full of people who have been transformed by Jesus' love for them. Transformed to love others who we don't know in practical ways. And you see, La Trobe was shocked by how much was donated to them a couple of weeks back. I'd been receiving emails to and from Latrobe, and one of the emails said this in it. With your generosity, we have been able to impact the lives of 450 domestic and international students, ensuring they are able to have their basic needs met. And the good news is that we have opportunity every fortnight to keep shocking La Trobe with a love that's been transformed by the gospel. But third, we see a transformed joy See, the jailer didn't just have his hope and love transformed. He received a newfound joy that night. And you see it there, don't you, in verse 34. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. See, the reason for this man's joy isn't simply because he got to keep his job at the end of it all, his prisoners not having escaped. No, it's because he came to know and believe in God. He'd spent his whole life separated from God, living in ignorance and rebellion to him, but now he'd been introduced to God and actually welcomed by him. That's why he can't wipe the smile from his face. One of the good news stories that was going around a few weeks ago um, was about Captain Tom, if you saw it. Uh, He was a 100-year-old World War II veteran, and he actually managed to raise, I believe, 32.7 million pounds to support the National Health Service in Britain. He did it by doing 100 laps on his walker around his garden, which I think is a tremendous effort. Well, in recognition of his efforts, the Queen made a rare public appearance during the pandemic to personally knight him, and so Tom, as now he's known, was clearly joyful during this, uh, following this moment and he said to reporters, to meet the Queen was more than anyone could expect. It, never did I imagine I would get so close to the Queen and have such a kind message from her. That was really outstanding. It was truly outstanding. See, why was he joyful? because he had the privilege of being close to the queen and receiving kindness from her. Imagine that was you standing there. It would be amazing, wouldn't it? You'd be throwing your hand up like Captain Tom. But imagine that instead of the queen, it was the living God welcoming you and showing you kindness. See, the message of the gospel says to the believer in Jesus that you have experienced a welcome from someone far greater than the queen. In Jesus, we have been brought near to the living God, not just for a moment, but for an eternity. What an honor. He has made you part of God's family. And you know that God has shown you remarkable kindness because he sent his son to die for you. You see, this is what the jailer and his whole household came to rejoice over that night. You see, even in a somewhat depressing time like ours of pandemic, the follower of Jesus has a reason to rejoice and to tune in Sunday after Sunday to keep singing praise to God. Transformed hope, transformed love, transformed Joy. To believe in Jesus is to experience a salvation as great as this jailer's. You see, in God's great plan, what looked like a setback turned out to be a great setup for God to bring salvation in the life of this man. Uh, We are living through a moment in time that does feel like kind of one giant setback. Our ministries were thriving prior to COVID. People were able to come and uh, free to come and invite friends to church and growth group, but now everything's changed. We just can't do the same things we used to do. We can't be together. But this passage has taught us to have a bigger and much more optimistic view of God, of God who can take an apparent setback and make it a setup for salvation. And I think I've had a glimpse of that with the amount of interest that we've had in Christianity explored in this time. But I think I've also seen it as I've interacted more in our community. I'll just close with this story. Um, I walked down to get a coffee from our local coffee shop a few days ago. And when I came into the cafe, uh, the coffee lady said to me, I feel like you bring a kind of calming and peaceful presence into this place every time you come in. I don't know what she was seeing. and I didn't really know how to respond. All I just said was, oh, that's nice. And then she said, I, I think I know why, though. It's your three beautiful daughters. They give you Peace. And at that moment, I thought, no, I need to say something here. See, this moment of COVID might feel like a giant setback in my ministry, but right here, right now, God seems to have turned this setback into a gospel setup, and I don't want to waste that. So I said to her, actually, it's not really my kid's who give me a sense of peace in this time. In fact, sometimes they can do quite the opposite. See, the real reason I do actually have a peace in my life at this time is because my hope is bound up in Jesus Christ. See, I know he's in control right now, and I know that I'm safe with him. And she nodded and said, actually, that sounds like a good way to look at things. And to me, that was just the beginning of what I hope to be an ongoing conversation with my local coffee shop lady, an ongoing conversation that I pray God might use to bring salvation in this moment. See, as we go into this week, let's pray that we would actually take heart in the salvation we have come to know, and let's be thankful that God does turn apparent setbacks that can be very discouraging into setups for salvation. Let's pray. A gracious, gracious Heavenly Father, thank you that you are a mighty God, able to bring good from bad, an act of salvation from a moment of injustice. Thank you that we who trust in Jesus know this salvation. And in knowing this salvation, may you continue to transform and grow our hope in Jesus, our love for his people, and our joy in knowing you. Amen.